This is the fourth time I've tried to start recording this. Oh my goodness. I've got a bunch of stuff written down. I'm going to be talking about suicide and I feel like if I don't do this now, I'll delay it. So Oh my goodness. Uh, I don't know if I should start re-recording or just keep going. I think I'll keep going because I'm afraid I'll do this every time. I will get it together. Um, so no one um, in my personal life has killed themselves this week or um, any time recently, but I am hearing about suicides left and right, and I'm seeing it on the internet. And a couple of my clients have just been hit really close to home on this just this week. And I feel like I need to do this now. And this does not need to be in my stack of episodes to record later, but it needs to be done now. Um, so <clears throat> this is not going to be comprehensive. There's no way to do justice to such a heavy, heartbreaking important topic of healing from suicide, but I'd like to start a conversation and I just hope it's helpful and I hope none of it offends anyone, but I'm doing the best I can and hopefully it will help most of you who have some experience with losing a loved one to suicide. So, um, all right, I'm going to read and just maybe add a few things to what I've written down. So I really have been wanting to record a podcast on how to cope and heal and really just survive following the suicide of a loved one. This is an unbelievably devastating traumatic loss, and most would say it's the hardest one that a person could ever face. Um, there's really no way to fully address it, but here are some of the thoughts and some pieces of information that might help with the healing process for those who have been left behind by a suicide. Um, and the most obvious one here is you are not alone. The number of people who seriously consider suicide, attempt it, or complete it is staggering. You wouldn't even believe how many people have done this or nearly done this. Many, many of my clients um, and, you know, and many have lost loved ones. And really with just the last two and a half years of COVID, I think the risk is higher and the numbers are increasing. And when you look at the statistics online, the, the numbers of suicides were increasing from the year 2000 to 2018, and that was before COVID. The internet says that every 40 seconds, someone commits suicide. So this week, I have talked to a couple people whose um, good friend um, had a brother that killed themselves. So it was not their friend, but his brother. And I've just been hearing about this and last night I was in my neighborhood and I live near a fraternity, college fraternity, and I was talking to 
some of the guys that were outside about my mental health podcast and just dealing with, you know, addiction and suicide and how prevalent it is. And they said that two of their brothers in the fraternity have lost a brother in the last year or so, one to suicide and one to an overdose, uh, probably accidental overdose. Um, I also... Um, one of my cousin's daughter's friends just died this week of an accidental heroin overdose. Um, so, and then this morning, my first three clients all had very close to home experiences with suicide. Um, the first one talked about um, the, the suicide that I just mentioned, um, a young man in his early 20s. Um, who committed suicide this week. And then one had lost her older sister who was in her early 40s a few months ago, earlier this summer, to suicide. And then the third conversation I had this morning was I was meeting with a mother-daughter, and the daughter had attempted suicide um, and had been hospitalized a few years ago. And she's doing great now, but... She was in eighth grade. She attempted suicide um, and is so much better. Um, so the um, the one who lost her sister in her early 40s said that when she would tell people that she lost a sister to suicide, she was amazed by how many people shared similar stories of losing a loved one in that way. So in my experience of speaking to people who are suicidal or lost a loved one to suicide, those people are very depressed and in agonizing pain and they feel hopeless. Those are the three common denominators that are basically universal. I know there are different reasons, different circumstances, different causes of the depression, but those are basically three. Um, there's also a statistic that people who have had previous attempts are more likely to attempt again. So what I've also noticed is the ones who have totally decided that they want to die and they want to kill themselves, they don't give their loved ones any warning because they don't want to be stopped. Many times they have been contemplating suicide for months and maybe even years. And some of them have attempted before or even been reckless with their life. I could tell you countless stories like that. I think of it as playing Russian roulette, whether that be with alcohol, drugs. I had a, a client in his mid twenties who admitted that when he was really depressed, that he would drive around too fast on rainy days with you know bad tires and just kind of hope that he would slide off the road. So, um, and, and we call that um, sometimes like systematic suicide, where someone is being reckless with their life, maybe, you know, just kind of trying out things recklessly, carelessly to see what happens, doing dangerous sports, you know. Um, also, maybe someone who has an illness isn't taking their medication appropriately, or they experiment with taking just a few too many pills because they're just willing to take that chance that you know, it might actually kill them, but they're not 100% committed to um, dying at that point, but they're open to 
you know, experimenting with that because they don't really care. And these people are tired of life being so painful and they believe that there has got to be less pain somewhere else. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I think they're right. Not that I agree with suicide, but life is painful and challenging. Even for those of us who have much easier lives, much better situations than they have had. So the emotional roller coasters associated with things like addiction or just mood swings like depression, anxiety, bipolar disorder, um, the emotional roller coaster associated with relationship issues, life issues, job issues, child rearing, losses in your life, death of loved ones. Those can be too much for sensitive people to handle. A few years ago, a good friend of mine told me a heartbreaking story about a young guy in his early 20s who was doing a lot of humanitarian work, inner city work, had a huge heart for helping people, and somehow he ended up terribly depressed and committed suicide. Um, I know that my husband had an uncle who had been a really, really bad alcoholic for years, and it felt sort of like a systematic suicide situation. Everyone said he was just the kindest hearted, sensitive person. And he drank and drank and drank and many times was found unresponsive and taken to the hospital. And he did that for years and years and years. And I remember his mother, my husband's grandmother saying, one of these days, I just know I'm gonna find him dead, you know, from alcohol. And that is what happened. She didn't find him, but he did die. And he was the youngest of um, the four siblings. And he died maybe 10, 12 years ago. The others are all still living. So um, that would be like a systematic, you know, suicide. Um, so let's see what else. Um a while back, I saw a couple in there around age 60 who had lost their son around the age of 30 to suicide. He had been diagnosed with bipolar disorder. They helped him find help. He wouldn't take the medication. He didn't like the way it made him feel. And so he stopped that. And I think it was, you know, several years later and ups and downs, um, and he just hit a really low, low, he had bipolar one disorder and he ended up killing himself in his parents' home. And it was unbelievably traumatic. And I met them about two years after the suicide. And I can say that his mother was not doing well when I met her, his father was doing, you know, fairly well, but, um, his mother made a huge amount of progress and I referred her to get neurofeedback to help her brain heal because it was a lot of trauma, like basically damage to the brain through trauma. And she did the neurofeedback and it helped a lot. So um, let's see. So I wrote that he knew his parents loved him and would do anything for him, but he refused to follow the treatment protocol for bipolar one disorder. And that's, you know, that's common. Um, it's understandable. It's, it's not smart, but, 
you know, it's hard. I mean, taking medication can be very hard and frustrating. Um, We need to remember that we cannot make people get help. We wish we could, but we can't. We cannot force people to take medication. We can't keep them under 24-hour surveillance. So we can't blame ourselves for their choices. We also can't stop people from using drugs that get their systems out of whack, put them on this crazy highs and lows. Um, I mean, there's just so much going on that we just can't help. So got to remember that those who are sure they're ready to die are not going to tell anyone because they don't want to be stopped. It is 100% normal to feel guilty, but it is not your fault. People want to blame themselves, even when a loved one has a car accident. But suicide is so, so much harder not to have regrets and feel guilty. But it is not your fault. Even if you took them to the hospital to commit them or admit them, for treatment, they could lie their way out. Um, it's really not hard. Most people know the tricks. Just say what you know they want you to hear, or they want to hear, and say, "Oh, I'm not going to hurt myself. I have no suicidal thoughts, no intent, no plan," and they really can't force you to stay. So you can try everything in your power, but you really can't control the situation. So here's sort of an analogy that I hope will bring some comfort. When you think about those who are nearing death, whether it's because of an illness, an accident, maybe someone who says, you know, gives you a DNR, I don't want to be kept on life support, no artificial measures to save my life. Some of these people on their deathbed are really just waiting for permission to go. Sometimes they just hang on because they feel like, oh, someone in my family needs me. Someone in my life needs me. But they really want to go. And so many people on their deathbeds are longing to hear the words, it's okay to go. You don't have to stay here for us. We will be okay. And you think about medically assisted suicide, those who know they're dying and they're going to be going through a lot of pain and treatment and agony. And they have, you know, doctor-assisted suicide in some states. These examples could be applied in a different way um, that you could maybe help you process the suicide of a loved one. They were ready to go. They were tired of fighting and tired of pain. They knew, they believed that something better was waiting, whether they believed in an afterlife or not. So the greatest loss and the greatest sacrifice for you is to let them go and respect their wishes. And of course, you didn't get a say in the matter before, but if you viewed it that way, you know, probably more people that were seriously contemplating suicide would tell their loved ones if they thought that they would let them go and respect their wishes. I don't know if anyone's ever thought of that. And, you know, I hope that's helpful. I hope that this doesn't offend anyone. I want to make it clear. I certainly do not believe um, that people who commit suicide are going to hell. 
if someone who is suicidal tells me that that's what's keeping them from, from committing suicide, I don't tell them that in that very moment. I might tell them later when the risk and the temptation is gone, but um, I do not believe that people who commit suicide are going to hell. If God is who I believe he is and who he says he is, he sees us, he knows our pain, he loves us, and he has great compassion that we can't even begin to imagine. So I believe that he saw what your loved one was going through every moment, every amount of suffering, loneliness, isolation, despair, pain, loneliness, grief, everything. Um, so if you hear stories about the afterlife um, or from people as they're dying from hospice workers, I strongly encourage you to speak to people who sit with the dying. Um, they have beautiful stories about what people experience as they're dying. Um, or if you hear stories of people who have died and come back to life, you might start to realize that there's something beautiful and indescribable beyond this life. But for those who are left behind, the suffering and the loss are incomprehensible. Another small comfort is that this life may not seem short, but it is. I worked with a 13-year-old boy recently whose mother had died when he was 11, not by suicide. But his father had told him, life is a vapor. And this brought the young boy a lot of comfort. And he shared that with me as something that comforted him because he wants to see his mom again and misses her so badly. And the idea that life is short brought him comfort. Also want to make it clear that I am not glorifying suicidal, sorry, glorifying suicide or encouraging it in any way. I never want anyone to kill themselves. I want them to talk to others and get help. And I think that when you start to talk with others, you realize you are far from alone. There are many people who are in the same boat and there is help for all kinds of conditions, addictions, depression, bipolar, anything. Um, and so just to end on a couple of things, for those who are grieving a suicide, here are a few tangible things that might help. Get counseling as soon as you can, maybe even as a family. Um, you know, as many loved ones as you want to bring into a session, maybe like your own little private group, uh, grief group. Write your loved one a letter or even a series of letters. Um, a lot of people feel so sad that they don't get to say goodbye um, when someone commits suicide. And of course, there's other sudden types of death where you don't get to say what you want to say. And I think, you know, many times those people that passed away know how you felt, but it brings you comfort to write a letter. And you could even write ongoing like little letters or journals or, you know, just thoughts to them like you would if you were away at camp and you just keep, you know, communicating with them through letters. Um, and then just remembering that you did what you could. Again, if your loved one wanted you to intervene, they would have warned you and given you time to help.
And many people threaten suicide for years before they do it. And so it can be difficult to know when the threat is real and when it isn't, or when there's like serious intent um, and risk and when there isn't. There's just no way to control all those factors. So I hope some of this helps. And I know there's no way to fix this. And it takes a very, very long time. Um, And of course, one obvious thing I didn't say is you could find a support group for, um, you know, suicide um, losses and any kind of grief group, but certainly other people who have lost someone to suicide can be really helpful to talk to and just what helped them get through it.